Before we begin this subject tonight, I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads with me as we begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, tonight, as we open the Bible together, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. It's my prayer that you would help us to be able to understand a conflict that has been going on for millennia. And I pray that as we look at Scripture tonight, may the Spirit peace, help us piece together uh, the, the scope and the magnitude of this conflict. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but we had covered several nights ago the anatomy of evil. We talked about Revelation 12. Do you remember that? And when we looked at that topic, one of the things that we saw is that Satan rebelled against God. Why? Well, we saw that in other, in Paul's writings, that Satan wanted to be like God. He basically wanted to take God's throne. Why? Well, he wanted to be worshipped. And tonight's subject doesn't go from Revelation 12. We're going to skip forward to Revelation 14 because in Revelation 13, as you'll find out this coming Wednesday, Satan makes a counterattack. But in Revelation 14, we're going to look and see how God has a message for the entire universe, or I should say the planet, in regards to the conflict that is arising because of what Satan is doing. Now, one of the points that Revelation makes very clear is that only God is worthy of worship. Can you say amen to that? And I want to emphasize this point because tonight I want to show you from the Bible, from Revelation, why is God the only one worthy of worship. So let's notice Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Here's what it says. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, to, to receive glory and honor and power, for you did what? Created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now I want to ask you, just from reading this, according to the Bible, why is God worthy of receiving glory and honor and power. Why is he worthy of our worship? Because he is the what? He's the creator. It's just that simple, okay? It's that simple. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, for all the gods, notice it's lowercase g, all the gods of the nations are just what? Just idols. But the Lord, what did he do? He made. So why is God Real, capital G, why is the Lord, why is he worthy of being honored and revered and worshiped? Because he did what? He, he made, he created, right? That's what makes him worthy. This is how Jeremiah describes it. Thus you shall say to them, the gods, lowercase g, that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from under the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth, now this is talking about God, by his power, he has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. So what makes God worthy? What makes him worthy of worship again? The Bible reiterates, it repeats this over and over that it's because he is the creator. In fact, notice how this is described in the book of Acts. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, do you realize that Satan's ambition has always been to take God's place, to take God's throne? He wanted that worship. And so through the centuries, you will find that Satan has made massive efforts 
to try to obscure the idea that God created the earth. He's, he's made a, a fantastic uh, deception on all mankind as to how we, were, we came into being. And one of the huge moments in history as to when this became obscured can be traced back to the 4th century. Now, without getting into the history that we talked about before, you will recall that I shared with you that Constantine won a decisive victory, and upon winning that victory, he attributed it to the Christian God. That ultimately brought in a new era into the Roman Empire, where now the Christian religion was embraced. Prior to that, it had been persecuted very, very vehemently. But now this era where Christianity became popularized comes in, but it came at a price. What price was that? Well, now pagan practices kind of became mingled with Christian ideas. And let me see if I can my mic here. Okay, so I don't know if you realize that today there are so many remnants of some of these pagan traditions in our culture right now. And I'm going to just use some examples. Do you know why when we go to funerals, we give flowers? Have you noticed that this is kind of a practice, like they have a lot of flowers at funerals? Now, I'm not saying don't take flowers to funerals. I'm not saying that. But I want to un- help you understand where did this custom come from? Well, it actually originates from paganism. And what happened is when their loved ones died, the common teaching at that time was that my loved ones, in order to be accepted in the afterlife, it will help them if they are perceived as being popular. In other words, if they were well-liked, then they will have a better experience in the afterlife. And so what did the people do? They brought these tokens of you could say, respect or admiration. And this was the custom that to this day has come down with very few people recognizing where it originated from. Um, Another example are the days of the week. Now, some of you may know this, but in other parts of the world, they had the custom of simply calling it the first, the second, the third, and the fourth, you know, so on. That, That was just the custom. It was paganism that said this day, is dedicated to the god Wooden. What day do you think of the week that's become now for us? Wednesday, right? Wednesday is, is um, am I doing something wrong, Ivan? No, okay. And then I'm sure that you know, but um, uh, these other days of the week also, they are all connected to names of deities that were popularly worshipped. Thursday is from Thor. I don't know if you know that. Like, so all of these different names are the legacy of pagan practices. Here's something that some of you may be familiar with. In the ancient pagan tradition, most villages had something called an Ashtoreth pole. Okay? And without getting too detailed, this was a phallic symbol. I think I think most of you know what I mean when I say that, right? Phallic, okay, so this is a phallic symbol, a symbol of fertility. When couples were trying to have kids, people would go to the, to the Ashtoreth pole in town, and they'd chip off a little piece as a token of good luck. You get it? Okay, so they'd chip off a little piece, and then that little piece was kind of like a hope that, you know, they could conceive, okay? And over time... 
this practice of taking a chip off the pole became known as a chip off the old what? Block. You get it? That's where that saying comes from, a chip off the old block. It's from this custom that really is a legacy from paganism. Now, I know that some of you may not have known these things, and you may have. And I'm not saying that we have to get rid of every pagan practice. Even the fact that I'm wearing a necktie tonight, I don't know if you realize, this, the, the, you know, the practice or this, the, the I, I don't know what you want to call it, the custom, it has a kind of a phallic overtone. And I realize that that sounds strange to some people, but you can review this. But the point that I want to make to you tonight is that when you look carefully at the Bible's prediction about what the end of time would look like, the Bible gives a very, very clear description of a massive apostasy within the Christian church. Let me read this to you. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, the second coming, shall not come, except there come a what? A falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then Paul said, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, something that I want to point out is that the Bible is predicting that as we approach the end of time, there would be this, this conspiracy, you could say, a religious conspiracy to try to obscure or to obfuscate the things of God and replace it with a man-made tradition or custom that would lead people to forsake God's truth. And this is how the Bible describes the, the focus of God's end-time message to the world at the very end of time. Notice this. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the what, everybody? The everlasting gospel. Now, just I want to make a point here. The fact that it's called the everlasting gospel, it means that basically the gospel has been the same from the beginning until now. And I shared that last night. From the very beginning, people were saved by faith in the coming Messiah. Does that make sense? Just like we are today. And so here's the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell in the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of waters. Now, I want to make a point here because I think I said this to you in a previous presentation. I did share with you that the book of Revelation has about two-thirds of it that is derived from the Old Testament. Do you remember I shared that with you? Like 404 verses, 276 have direct, you know, uh, it's not a quote, but it's like an allusion to something in the Old Testament. Okay, so this verse in Revelation is no different. Because did you notice that there is a phrase in here that says, worship him who made the what? The heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. Why? Getting about our origins, about who made us. And because of this, Revelation directs our worship back to the true God who is the creator. Now, I want you to know that if we look at the passage that in Revelation 14, verse 6, and we want to trace it back to where this is found in the Old Testament, you just have to go to Genesis. Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. Did you notice that that expression, heavens and earth, is very similar to what we saw there in Revelation 14? Now, folks, I want to share with you tonight that when we look at the creation, the Bible gives us 
a pretty clear account of how God made this world. It just describes on these different days what God made. Now, most people are not too unfamiliar with this part. But there is one part of the creation account that many people overlook. And I want to just point that out to you tonight. Please notice this. Thus, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, I want to pause and ask you a question. Did God rest because he was tired? No. God obviously is not like us. He didn't rest because he was tired. There must have been some deliberate reason that God would do this. And so this is what we read in the next verse. The Bible says, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Why? Because in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, I want to just share something with you. See, God understood that in order for mankind to be able to remember what he had done, he gave them a memorial. Now, he didn't build like a statue and say, hey, I'm the God that made you, so don't forget me. Because you know what Satan would have done? He would have just broken it down eventually. Does that make sense? So what did God do? He made a memorial in time. It, you could say that this memorial was designed to remind them of where they came from, where their origins were. And, you know, it's interesting that God rested. You know, we know that God doesn't need rest, but it's like me as a parent. You know, when I was growing up, I ate at all hours of the day. In other words, if I got hungry, I would just go into the pantry. I would go into the, you know, the, the, the refrigerator and just grab something. I didn't really have a regulated schedule of eating. Well, guess what? I grew up with a lot of stomach aches. And over time, I learned that it's better to eat at distinct hours and let your stomach, you know, have time to digest. Well, guess what? As I was raising my children, that's what I taught them. I wanted them to learn from example of what I wanted them to do to avoid some of the gastric problems that I had growing up. Does that make sense? And this is kind of what God did. God gave us an example of resting because he wanted us to be reminded of his creative power. And so that's why in the book of Isaiah, oh, and by the way, this is just proof from the Bible that God doesn't get tired. So, you know, the point that I want to make to you is that God rested on this day. He blessed it. And then the Bible says he sanctified it. Now, the word sanctify, if you go through the Bible, it means to set apart for a holy purpose. Does that make sense? So when God sanctified it, it means that it had a special reason why God wanted it to be separate. And when you, go to the, uh, when you go to the commandments, you'll find this phrase. It says, it starts with this word. It says what? Remember. Now, I'm going to just make this point. Of all the commandments, this is the only one that begins with the word remember. Now, if you're married, this is easy to understand. When your wife, when your spouse wants you to not forget something, they will usually say to you, remember. Isn't that true? Like, you know, remember. When you go to the store, remember to get this, okay? Or remember to do this. And, you know, folks, when God placed that word there, remember, it hints at two things. Number one, 
it must have existed before. Why? Well, how could you ask someone to remember something if it hadn't already been in place? And number two, God didn't want them to forget it. He didn't want them to, uh, you know, lose sight of this memorial. And <clears throat> notice this. The Bible goes on to, okay, so I should back up. I want to read the whole thing. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the, what day? The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord, what did he do? He made heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, I want to point something out. The language of Revelation 14 is strikingly similar to the fourth commandment. It talks about, you know, he made heaven and earth, the sea, and all, you know. So this language is kind of borrowed from this fourth commandment. Now, why is that important? Because Revelation is telling us that at the end of time, people have forgotten about their origins. I know that you know this, but in most public schools today, the common, you know, teaching about our origins is really from evolution. Isn't that true? And I know we have some very... Um, you know, we have people that have gone to school. We have some professors in here tonight. One of the, one of the main tenets of what's called neo-Darwinism, because they don't really believe, I, I don't know if you know this, but traditional Darwinism has been kind of thrown out the window. I don't know if you know that. There's something new. It's called neo-Darwinism. But one of the main tenets is the idea that something comes from nothing. Okay, that's kind of like one of the foundational ideas. And I think most of you know this, that, you know, this, this one tenet is pretty hard to overcome. It's hard to prove this idea of something coming from nothing. Now, one of the points that the commandment gives us here is on the seventh day. And, you know, when you look at the Bible and you see it says the seventh day, most people ask the question, well, how do we know which day is the seventh day? Because maybe back then they didn't use the same numbering system or so forth that we're using now. Well, you know what you can do? You can actually look it up in the dictionary. You can just look up, like, you know, the Sabbath. And you'll find it says the seventh day of the week, which falls on Saturday. Or you can even look it up in the encyclopedia. I don't know if you know this, but you can look up the Sabbath and you'll find it falls on the seventh day. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting is that most Christians today are taught that the Sabbath was only for the Jews. That's like the common understanding. But let's review a little bit for a moment. Adam and Eve, after creation, were privileged to be able to rest on the day that God blessed, God rested on, and he sanctified it. Do you remember that? So from the very beginning, God had set apart this seventh day as being special from the very beginning. And this is why Jesus said in the book of Mark, notice this, he said, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for who? For man. Now, the Greek word for man there is the Greek word anthropos. It's where we get the word like mankind from. I'm saying this because I want you to understand that when the Bible says the Sabbath was made for man, it's talking about not a specific race, you know, like the Jew, because Jesus could have said that. He could have said the Sabbath was made for the Jews. 
But as we just learned, the Sabbath was already instituted long before there was any Jews with Adam and Eve. And again, the emphasis in the commandment is that we remember this day. I want to do a little astronomy quiz for you, if you don't mind. Where do we get the year from? So where, what astronomical event forms the basis of the year? It's the, it's the, it's the, the earth, right? Going around the, the sun, right? That's where we get a, a year from, right? And, and I think you know, it's like 365 and like one quarter, right? Roughly. That's how long it takes for earth to go around the sun. Okay. Where do we get the month from? What astronomical event dictates the month? The moon, right? The moon. It goes around the earth in 29.6 days, right? That's roughly the cycle of the moon. Where do we get the day from? Yeah, the earth, right? The earth rotating one time on its axis, right? That one turn gives us what we call a day. Isn't that right? Okay, so then the question is, where do we get the week from? Okay, so, so I want to point something out. This is going to be interesting, and you can check me on this. There is no basis in astronomy for a seven-day week. There's no basis for it. Did you know that there were cultures in other countries that tried to change the seven-day cycle? Did you know that? You can look this up. In the early part of the eight, late part of the 18th century, France tried to go to a 10-day work week. And you, know, and you know why they did? Because they were, they, they were kind of getting rid of Christianity. So they tried to go to a 10-day work week. Do you know what happened? It stopped because at some point they learned that animals can't even function for nine days straight and then rest on the 10th. They can't. So they gave up on that experiment. Did you know that Stalin, I don't know if you know this, Stalin tried to make a five-day work week. Did you know that? That didn't work either. Did you know, and you can check me on this, there is a new branch of science that is investigating something called circa septin rhythms. Okay, so circa means like a cycle. Septin means seven. And there is fascinating research. And I know some of you are watching this, so I just want to say this. If you Google circa septin, you will discover that there is a fascinating science that has discovered that human beings and other animals, even simple, like simple multi-celled creatures, are governed on a cycle that runs in seven days. Okay? Now, why am I saying this? Because our creator made us to be able to work for six days and then rest on the seventh day. There is no other explanation for a seven-day week in astronomy or, you know, even for cultures that don't have a Judeo-Christian, you know, like foundation. There's no explanation for the seven-day week except that God made the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. Now, do you realize that if every person had kept this one commandment from the beginning of time, we would not be thinking that, you know, we came from, you know, some primitive species. And I want you to think about this. If we are the, the offspring or if we are just simply in a biological accident, does it make sense that 
there's no purpose for us. We were just an anomaly in genetics, right? But if God made us, then that means that he has a purpose for us. He has a plan, a destiny for us. There's a huge difference in your worldview if you understand that God made us versus if we are just some accident. Now, something that I want to remind you is that from the beginning, Satan has wanted worship. He has wanted God's throne. He's wanted this. And, you know, it's very interesting that of all the commandments, this is the one commandment that identifies who God is because it says that he is the one who made us. Does that make sense? All the other nine commandments could easily be accepted by another religion. But the fourth commandment is unique in that it identifies God as the one who created all the things that we see. When you go to the New Testament, you will find something very interesting. Here's what it says about Jesus. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on what day? On the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. What was Jesus' custom? He went to the synagogue on what day? On the Sabbath, right? And if you look at Matthew. Now, I want to explain something about Matthew 24. If you were with us on our second presentation, you would remember this. Matthew 24 takes place, the, the predictions take place in two different sections. The first section is right before the destruction of Jerusalem. And the second one is right before the second coming. Notice what Jesus told his followers. He said, pray that your flight not be in the winter or on what day? On the Sabbath. Now, remember, Jerusalem wasn't destroyed until AD 70. And he told his disciples, when that event comes, pray that you don't have to flee on the what day? On the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? That's 40 years after the crucifixion, okay? Here's another passage in the book of uh, Luke. Let me read this to you. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. These are the women that were getting Jesus' body ready for his Rested the what? Now, even when you go to the book of Acts, now remember, this is well into the Christian dispensation. This is after Jesus had resurrected. Notice what the disciples and the apostles were doing. It says, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia. And they went into the synagogue on what day? On the Sabbath. And they sat down. Here's another but when they departed from Perga, they came, oh, same passage. Okay, let's look at verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, now look closely, the what group of people? The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next day. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? The next what? The next Sabbath. Now, please, don't miss this. Don't miss this. If Christians at that time had been having worship on the day that Jesus resurrected, what should the Gentiles have said to Paul? They should have said, hey, we're going to have a church service tomorrow. Come and preach to us tomorrow. But they didn't say that. They said, preach to us the next what? Sabbath. Why? And let's review. Because the Sabbath was made in no connection with the Jews. It was made as a memorial of what event? Creation, right? It was a memorial of creation. Here's Acts 13, verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole what? City. So this is, again, Jews and Gentiles all worshiping together on the Sabbath. Here's another passage in the book of Acts. And he reasoned in the synagogue every what? Sabbath. And he persuaded both Jews, but who else? So Gentiles. Gentiles were also coming to listen and learn on the Sabbath day. And then the Bible goes on in the book of Acts. Let me read this to you. 
Now, I know that some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, well, of course, Paul would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That makes sense because that's where the Jews were. But notice what they do when there's no synagogue. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the where? No synagogue now, okay, where prayer was customarily wont to be made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, this is a description of Paul on the Sabbath where there's no synagogue. He, the Bible says that he goes out, and they find a quiet place where they can pray, and he preaches to them. So I know that today in the Christian world, the common saying is that we worship on Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus resurrected, and this is a memorial of his resurrection. But there's a big problem. And the problem is there is actually no verse in the Bible that talks about that. When you look carefully at the Bible, you will discover that there are two memorials given for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. One of them is communion. When you go to a communion service, that is a reminder of Jesus' death but also it's a reminder of his resurrection too. Does that make sense? Because it says that this do until, you know, I come. It's a reminder that he has resurrected and he's coming back. But baptism is also a reminder because as you were buried with Christ into baptism, so also you are raised up into newness of life. This is another reminder of Jesus' death and his resurrection. But, you know, over the years, I've heard a number of common arguments. Like one of the arguments that I've heard is that Sunday is the Lord's Day. So the only place in the Bible where the Bible calls something the Lord's Day is in Revelation 1.10. Here's what it says. Paul, John, John writes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard a, behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, I want to just make a point here. In Revelation 1.10, it actually doesn't say which day is the Lord's day. It doesn't say that. It just John just says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. But when you go through the Bible, it's clear which day is the Lord's day. Because the Bible says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the, what, what day? Of the Sabbath, right? And if you go to Exodus 20.20, 20, the Bible is clear. Hallow my Sabbaths that they will be a what? A sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Exodus 20, verse 8, the Bible says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now, if you go through the New Testament, you're going to find this point. The Bible again and again emphasizes this. God wants us to keep his commandments. Does that make sense? He wants us to keep his commandments. That's why in James 2, verse 10, it says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in what? One point, he is guilty of all. Now, this may seem strong, but I want to just reiterate something that I shared with you yesterday. How do we keep God's commandments? How do we do it? By having love. Do you remember that? Love, if Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And I shared with you that in the original Greek, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments because love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, why is it that if you break one, you break them all? Because either you have love or you don't, okay? It's not like you can only obey one. And I shared with you yesterday, when Eve broke the, by eating, when she broke the commandments by eating the tree, she disobeyed her father, she coveted, she stole. Like, I shared that with you, right? When you break one, you break them all. Now, when it says, you know, whosoever shall keep the whole law and stumble in one point, it's clear it's talking about the Ten Commandments because it says, for he who said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the what? 
Now, did you notice, did you notice this? James does not say, accept the Sabbath. Did you notice that? He doesn't say that. Because, and, and this is important to say, the fourth commandment is not any more important than the other commandments, but it is no less important than the other commandments. It's just part of the commandments. Does that make sense? It's just, it's just a part of the Ten Commandments. Here's Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And last night I said this to you. The earth is still here, right? The atmosphere, the sky is still there. As long as they're there, Jesus is saying that the law will still be there. And I want to make it clear. We don't keep the law to be saved. If we have been saved because we love Jesus, we want to obey him, okay? Does that make sense? That's the emphasis that I want to make sure it's clear. Jesus goes on to say, Who there, whosoever, no, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So again, the emphasis here is to obey and to keep God's commandments. Let's go over to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 20, verse 20 says this, Hallow my Sabbaths, which means to keep them holy, because they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Now, remember what we said earlier? How, why is it that we worship God? It's because he's the creator. Well, what is the sign that he's given us to remind us that he's the creator? It is the Sabbath. That was the memorial of creation. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here tonight and you're scratching your heads and maybe you're watching this right now and you're saying, I know that some, you know, and I mentioned this, a year is 365 and one-fourth day, okay? It's, it's really, but you know what we do? Because that one-fourth is a little bit awkward, you can't have a day that just lasts for, you know, uh, six hours. So what do they do? Every four years, we add one day, right? We call it the leap year, right? But before they knew about leap year, you know what happened? They just counted the year as 365. So over time, they kept losing. Like every four years, they'd lose a day. Let's say you do that for 40 years. What happens? You lose basically a week and a half. And you know what starts happening? Well, here in Pennsylvania, like some of you that have lived here, you kind of can tell me when the seasons come and go. Like, you know, I've, I've had some conversations, and some of you said, look, Around Thanksgiving, we're going to get some warmer weather again. And look, that's normal. You should be able to predict, you know, when, you know, without too much difficulty, when spring, fall, summer, these seasons come and go. But back then, because they were getting off on the calendar with these quarter day, start, the seasons weren't matching up anymore. So they said, what's wrong? And they figured out, oh, we, 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 are, we are losing a quarter day every year. So to catch up, in 1582, they removed 10 days, basically 40 years of this stuff. And so notice that in October of that year, Thursday was the 4th, but Friday was the 15th. They removed 10 days. I want to make a point, though. They didn't change. See, the 4th came on a Thursday, and then the next day, what day was it? The next day was what day? It was Friday, and, and I'm emphasizing this because they didn't change the continuity of the weekly cycle, okay? Does that make sense? By the way, they did this more than once. Um, 
like, I actually read there were two countries that had to come into, like, union about this. Like, England wasn't adopting this Gregorian calendar that we're using now. And then Russia, I think it was in 1909, Russia also didn't adapt it. And then they finally came into adapting the Gregorian calendar, too. So it was like not every country had adopted this new system of governing time. But, you know, some people have wondered, well, how do we know, you know, maybe somewhere along the way, like everybody kind of lost track all at once. So there's two ways we can answer that question. The first way is this. I don't know if you know how, how powerful modern astronomy is. I'm not talking about astrology. Don't make that mistake. I'm talking about astronomy. Did you know that if all of our computers were destroyed and every calendar got burned, the astronomers, they can point a telescope up into the night sky. They can tell you what year, what day, and what time it is just by looking at the stars. Did you know that? That's how advanced modern astronomy is. Someone wrote to the U.S. Naval Observatory and said, look, how do we know that we are right? Like, how do we know that the day of the week is right, that the year is right, so on and so forth? And this is what they wrote back. This was in 1932. There has never been any change in the calendar that has affected the cycle of the week. Now, think about this. In Jesus' time, there was a group of people called the Jews that every seventh day they rested. Does that make sense? Did you know that until now, that same race of people has existed? The only way that we could mess up is if every Jew in the whole world overslept by 24 hours. Like, that would be the only way that we could somehow get off course. Here's something fascinating. In 105 languages in the world, the name for the seventh day of the week is not named after the god Saturn, okay? It's not. It's named for a word that means to stop. Okay, because the word Sabbath, it actually means to cease. So look at these languages, like Italian. It's pretty close, right? Sabato. And I, my Italian's not very, I can't speak Italian anymore. But anyway, and then in Spanish, Sabado. You get the same idea, right? Um, in Russian, Sabota. All of these languages in every, in 105 languages of the world, it, the root word, Behind the seventh day of the week is a word that is related to the idea of you don't work. That is the, and again, where did this come from? This originated with the scriptures and God. Now, please, let's review again. Back in the very beginning, Satan, when he tempted Adam and Eve, his goal was to get them to disobey God. Why? Because Satan wanted to usurp God's power and his authority. And so as we go through, you know, the, the history of man, we'll notice that again and again, God was trying to remind his people of who he was. And so that's why they're in Exodus in the, in, the, um, in the 16th chapter. This is before the Ten Commandments were given. That's in Exodus 20. God told them, six days you shall gather the manna. Remember this? The manna, they were to pick it up. But on the seventh day, the what day? The Sabbath, there will be none. Now, this is just, just a reminder. Again and again, God was trying to remind them that this day was special, that it was different. Now, when we come to Jesus' day, remember, I mentioned to you that Jesus told his followers, when you flee Jerusalem, pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath day. We looked at the book of Acts, and we saw that the, the apostles, the disciples, they also continue to worship on the Sabbath day. 
Did you know that the Bible teaches that even in the new earth, people will be keeping the Sabbath? Here's what it says in Isaiah 66. Some of you know this. Isaiah is called the little Bible because the beginning of Isaiah mirrors the story in Genesis, and the last chapters in Isaiah are almost like the book of Revelation. And here's what it says in Isaiah 66. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make remain, shall remain before you, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Now, I don't know why, but I'm missing the slide that says, from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come and worship before me. So that's Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23. So some of you are sitting here and saying, well, why is it that most Christian churches today keep Sunday as a holy day? Well, prophecy said, that there would come an antichrist power that would try to change God's law. We're going to spend more time in that. But tonight I want to give to you even what other churches have to say about this. This is a Catholic um, church member, when they're young, goes to catechism classes to learn the teaching of the Catholic church. Here's what the Catholic church teaches about the Sabbath. And it's in a question and answer format. So the question is, which is the Sabbath day? Answer? Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? The answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the who? The Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now, a Catholic scholar, Cardinal Gibbon, said this, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of what day? Of Saturday. Um, here's, another, here's another Catholic um, publication. The authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath into Sunday, not by a command of Christ, but by its own authority. So, here is a church that claims that they had the power to change God's commandments. But the Bible says in Revelation 14, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So here's a message at the end of time. God is trying to remind his people. He's trying to remind them of who the creator is. Now, I know that as you're sitting here tonight, for some of you, this will be shocking. This will really be kind of like a, a what do you call that? Like a very dissonant idea. So I'm going to give you a little homework. And here's the homework. I want you to go back to whoever your, you know, <coughs> excuse me, religious authority might be. It might be a pastor, a uh, priest. If it's a rabbi, you don't even need to ask, okay? But if you go back to them, and I want you to ask this question, and just ask this simply. Where in the Bible does it say that we should keep Sunday as a holy day? Okay, so just ask that question. So remember, you don't want an opinion. You want to ask them, where does it say in the, in the Bible? Okay, and that's and, and what I want you to do is don't take my word for it because this seminar is not about what does Emmanuel think. I want you to go back and examine this for yourself, okay? Because you will be more convinced if you see it rather than if someone just tells it to you. Does that make sense? 
So I want you to go back and look, I want to say this too. When you, go, if, you might be one of those people that likes to research things online. If you do that, make sure you find a clear biblical um, explanation. Does that make sense? In other words, don't just take some, someone's opinion or whatever. Find a biblical explanation for this point. Now, tomorrow night, here's what I want to do for you. Tomorrow night, I'm going to cover all the verses in the New Testament that talk about the first day of the week. Now, why would I want to do that? Well, the word Sunday doesn't appear in the Bible, but if the Sabbath was changed somewhere in the New Testament, when it mentions the first day of the week, it will probably talk about a change, if there's a change. Does that make sense? So tomorrow, I'm going to go through every one of those verses, and then I'm going to share with you an in-depth history of when the change took place, what influenced it, and why it is that Christianity today almost entirely has forgotten about the one commandment that begins with the expression, remember. That's going to be tomorrow night, okay? It's called Revelation's Forgotten History. But tonight as we close, would you bow your heads with me as we have a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, tonight we've covered a topic that I know is not going to be easy in terms of understanding or comprehending the scope of this reality. My prayer is for everyone that's here tonight, that no one would have confidence in what a man teaches, but rather let us place our confidence in what the Word of God teaches. And I'm praying that each one that is honest-hearted and sincere will find the truth behind this topic, uh, irrespective of what I've said or what others might say, let them find the truth for themselves. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.